0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Praise Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety nine in the desert? and go after the lost one until he finds it. And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy, and upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it. And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that it should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him And was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fatted calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're on part two of what right looks like. And if you missed part one, the, the brief recap is this. We had to establish with a foundational uh, certainty whether or not authority is real, truth is real, and law is real. And if we can agree that there is an authority, we know that, whether that be in the examples I gave, like the military or society or in our church, that's good. We have a a direction to point to. If then we can agree to truth, that there is objective, factual truth, we can move on to the next piece, which is law, that law has helped to define us uh, and give us uh, healthy boundaries to live in. So today we move on to the the part that's probably the the more painful one because it's going to require self-examination to ask the question, what makes it so hard to accept authority or truth or law? What makes it so hard? What are the problems that make living right difficult? And if we were to describe it in another way, what makes it hard to live the moral life? Because that's what right looks like. Right is the moral life. So we're kind of going through this. There's a, just a, a list of things and examples within that. And, and throughout we're thinking like, yep, that's, that's me. Okay. Awareness is important. But we all want to take that awareness to say, what do I need to do then? How do I need to grow? So it's not just a, man, I have a lot of crap to deal with. It's, okay, I know what I'm dealing with and I know how to grow. So the first thing that makes it difficult to live a moral life is sin, duh, right? We're all fallen people. We, we have come from a fallen nature. We have natural human desires that become distorted and disordered. Within that, then we see things like selfishness, pride, sloth, lack of generosity, and there's a, a word that kind of over, overarches all of this, right? It's, it's concupiscence. Concupiscence means I have an inclination to sin. It doesn't mean I have to sin, but it means that through temptation, I have the inclination to. So even though by baptism, original sin is washed away, I'm adopted in the family of God, I still have the tendencies to not do the right thing. And I think about why is that, and perhaps this is an answer, not the only answer, but an answer. Perhaps the reason we're not concerned by sin is because we don't see the immediate consequences of sin. Alright, I, I told a lie. I'm still standing here. I don't have I'm not burning up in the fires of hell. Like I seem to be okay. Right? Or I took that thing, but it didn't really hurt me. In fact, I needed to take that thing because I was hungry. We've we've lost the ability to understand that sin doesn't just impact external things, but sin impacts us internally. So we we try to answer this question: it's not hurting anyone. But it is. It's, it's hurting my soul. And I can accept that if I believe in the law and the truth and authority. So that's the first one. It's just, it's sin. Sin makes it hard to live the moral life. The inclination to sin, the temptation to do something else. Uh, next is trust. And what I mean by this is trust in something other than God or a lack of trust in God And we can see that in different ways. The the inability to authentically believe what God puts in Scripture. So if I struggle with the authority, and I struggle with the truth, and I struggle with the law, I'm going to struggle with Scripture. Like, this is meant to be God's Word, His divine inspiration that is without error. And so when He says, I will not leave you, I will not let you flounder, I will not let you suffer. You're like, but I'm suffering. I have cancer. I'm dying. I'm in pain. And there's like this lack of trust that can build. Like, God, you're meant to do good stuff, and, and I'm just dealing with all sorts of junk all the time. It's because we, we misunderstand then like, the idea of suffering. We misunderstand the idea of, of sacrifice. But when we trust in something other than God, or we have a lack of trust, I think it's because we, we struggle with authentic realities. And this is an example from the seminary. So in the seminary, we have to do peer evaluations. They're awesome. (laughs) And depending on, like, so I was there for six years, so we did them every two years. And, you know, by the end, as deacons, it didn't really matter a lot because we were already ordained as deacons. We are probably going to be ordained as priests. But early on, these evaluations were really uh, raw. And... You knew they were raw because you could do them on a computer away from the guy, so you never had to face the individual who critiqued you, which is never helpful either. But anyway, the first peer evaluation I received, you know, we received, like, what are all of our good things? What are the things that we need to work on? And that's good. Like, that's formation. We, we all need to work on stuff. But one of the guys, one of my classmates, he put that I was inauthentic. I was like, what do you? And it bugged me. He's like, what do you mean I'm inauthentic? And I found out who it was, and I went to him, and I talked to him, like a civilized human being. I said, hey, what did you mean by this? Like, I wanted some clarity. He says, you're too happy. (laughs) You're too optimistic. Okay. And for him, because of his own woundedness, his own difficulties of life, that looked inauthentic. Like, no one could be that happy all the time. I'm like, I'm actually not happy all the time, but okay. And so sometimes the lack of trust we have or trust in something else is because of our internal woundedness. I'm, I'm upset by the suffering I experience so I, I don't believe in the fact that God will care for me. That can be an example. Next. So there's sin. There's trust issues. Sometimes there's just no moral compass. Like, we just don't know which way to point because we don't believe the authority or believe the truth or believe the law. And so it's like we don't have a direction to guide our moral behaviors by. Now, the fascinating thing about morality is that not everyone who is moral necessarily is a Christian, okay? We can accept that, possibly. So an agnostic, even an atheist, in a certain sense, could be moral, could, could live morality out well. But the struggle with the atheist or the agnostic, depending, is that they may not have the ability to point back to the authority of that morality. And so, again, self, self-example. self Growing up, not Christian, didn't believe in God, would have been considered an agnostic, like, okay, maybe God's real, but I don't really care. And so, my parents taught me, like, right, wrong, ethical things. And I knew what morality was, but I wasn't necessarily, like, connecting that to the Christian life. Christianity, Catholicism, we have the gift of saying my authority, my moral compass is God, is Jesus Christ. And so that gives us direction for our moral compass. Next, this is uh, an interesting one to consider. Lacking healthy fear. Hmm. What do I mean by this? When we think about fear, it's not meant to be like cowering in fear, like, oh no, God, don't smite me. No, it's God is so powerful and so omnipotent, like, I should fear him out of love, you know? Like, a parent isn't a good parent because they beat their children senseless, and the child is, like, afraid of their parent to be beaten. Like, that's bad fear. God, in the same way, doesn't want to, like, beat us down, but he says, "I, I have an authority over you, and because of that, I'm called to care for you and to nurture you and protect you, but there has to be a healthy fear. Like, I should fear doing wrong because I don't want to be away from God. But fear of the Lord, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it goes back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And so the catechism references that passage when talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it says, the moral life of Christians is sustained by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Who'd thunk? Huh? Like there's a plan. That's great. These are permanent dispositions which make man docile in following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. These gifts given to us by baptism and confirmation are meant to Help us to follow God's promptings. Huh. Catechism goes on to say, The seven gifts of the Spirit are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. They belong in their fullness to Christ, son of David. That's the reference back to Isaiah. And they complete and perfect the virtues of those who receive them. They make the faithful docile and readily obeying divine inspirations. Wow, they help me listen to God. That's awesome. Okay. Here's another, some other issues. These are going to be like the big word ones, right? So if you are taking SATs anytime soon, hopefully this will help you. Postmodernism. I know, it sounds as awful as it sounds. Okay. Postmodernism is a philosophical movement. It's, it's a circular issue, actually. So it's a philosophical movement that does not deny the existence of objective truth. But it denies that we can ever know it for sure. So here's the issue, right? The example is, a postmodernist will say, it is impossible to know anything for sure. But in that statement, aren't they making a a truth claim that it's impossible to know anything for sure? So it's a circular argument. Say like, ah, oh, you can never know it, but it's but it exists. It's, do- it's not that it doesn't exist. So we can say like, what what branches out of postmodernism is the next issue, which is moral relativism. Moral relativism uh, is basically the issue that morality is relative to whatever I think. It's relative to my state of life. It's relative to my thoughts and feelings. And there's other types of relativism. There's cultural relativism, like the culture here at St. Bernard's is gonna be different than the culture at St. Charles, or at uh, Robert Bellarmine, or St. Mary's. Like There's a cultural relativism, sure. So, relativism is not necessarily a bad thing, but it dictates our thoughts. And so, moral relativism struggles to define truth because it just says, you make your own truth. The problem with moral relativism is that it makes us be God. And I'm not God. I don't want that responsibility. That's way too much pressure. But we've done that to ourselves. Next, another struggle about like what makes it hard to follow this moral life it's just the priorities that we set. And now this is like the more practical like human stuff, right? So how do I set my priorities? Am I a workaholic? Am I only focused on school and sports all the time? Do my, do my children dictate what we do in our family? These priorities, you know, in there they say like this is more important than faith or this is more important than church or this is more important than God. Yeah, and that, that's an issue with the first commandment. This is a a huge struggle, and it's, it's again, one of the things that's our problem. It may not necessarily be at the fault of each of us, but it is a problem that we have to respond to, uh, which is catechesis, just knowledge. The church, you know, at times has not always done a great job of, like, catechizing the faithful well, but at the same time, the faithful have not always made efforts and attempts to go seek out further knowledge. If we think that you're going to get everything you need to know about your faith at Mass in one hour and with like the, the 20 to 15 to 10 minute homily, we are sorely mistaken. And our faith has to exude and live outside of, of these four walls. But what I recognize is like catechesis also is, is the example of behavior. and so. Yesterday we had a wedding here at St. Bernard's. It was awesome. First wedding I got to do. So happy. Mixed marriage with a couple, so one Catholic, one Christian. is great. But I could recognize, I could tell very quickly, like, those who weren't Catholic, because of the behavior that they, they, ex- uh, they, they lived out in the church, so like, they came in, they sat down, and then they just started chit-chatting. Just chit-chatting. And it wasn't, like, a quiet chit-chat. It was, like, talking quite loudly, like, do you know what Josie did last week? I'm like, please be quiet. Jesus is in the tabernacle. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't actually say that to them, but I was thinking it the whole time, so I was being kind of mean, but whatever. But like, lack of catechesis, lack of knowledge. They, they wouldn't know that, per se. But, like, for us that do know, we're like, oh, like, why is everyone, like, genuflect when they go in their pew? Like, that's weird, like, why is there this red candle up here? Okay, it's over there, good. Like, is like, we have to, we have to continue to seek knowledge. The last, no, it's not the last one. I keep thinking it's the last one. It's not. This one's probably the, the, one of the tougher ones. What makes it hard to follow the moral life? Emotion. Emotions are messy. You know, we're already messy people, but emotions make it way harder. How many of you love to be told that you're wrong? <laughs> yeah don't like that at all but and it's and like we have to think why like sometimes it's pride sometimes it's ego but like I remember it would cause great anger in me whenever my mother would say (laughs) you're wrong it's like mother how do you know I'm wrong because I said so and she was the authority so (laughs) that's what it was but like, being told we're wrong, like, that that causes a pain, that causes a hurt, that causes, like, a distress, like, and it's not meant to be hurtful, it's not meant to be those things, but it's an emotional response. We respond like, hmm, right? So, uh, emotions are actually generally neutral, right? Joy, happiness, like, they're, they're neutral in the, in, in the fact of, like, their morality, like, to be joyful is not moral or immoral, to, to be angry is not inherently moral or immoral there can be it's a neutral to begin with so these are just kind of like a beginning idea of like problems of what makes it hard to follow the moral life some additional thoughts to consider problems when we reject authority truth and law if if all of a sudden we rejected all authority all truth and all law what would happen in the world right now it would become a place of anarchy it'd become a dystopian society civilization would fall and crumble And so we do recognize back to some core that there has to be some type of authority and some type of truth and some type of law. And the challenge of this whole whole reason to bring this up is that there is something in the church that dictates that for us. That's good for us. Because the dangers for the Christian to reject God, these are just three dangers. These come from the Psalms. In one sense, we get what we ask for. God, I don't want you. I'm going to go do my own thing. Think about the Israelites when they were freed from the Egyptians. Like, hey, we have our freedom now. And now we're lost in the desert for 40 years. And what did they do? They made a golden calf. Like, God, you're not doing what we need. We're going to just go make our own golden calf. Like, come on. What's wrong with you? I just freed you. Right? But when we reject God, we get what we ask for. Okay? God's like, you don't want it? Fine. I'll back up. Gives us free will. The other one is that we suffer unnecessarily. Then Again, suffering is a really kind of tough subject because people like, we struggle with suffering, but we suffer unnecessarily when we reject God. Suffering is meant to be united to the cross. When we take that away, um, it just it's just really difficult. And then the last one is we, we get left to our own devices. We say, God, I don't want you. It's like, fine. I'll give you that freedom. But you're going to have to deal with what comes along. You're going to have to Suffer in the ways that you're going to suffer. And it's, you're going to have to accept the consequences that, that are brought to you. Now, let's, put, let's think about this in some other context. How many of us going to the dentist and being told you need to floss respond with uh, fits of outrage? No one's ever, like, fit, like, yelled at your dentist because they told you to floss? That's good. I'm fine. Okay. I'm, that's positive. Or, like, how many of you going to the doctor and the doctor's saying, like, you know, you might need to consider a diet or you might want to, you know, they're, they're doing something about your health, right? How many of you are like, how dare you tell me what to do? So, no, one, no one's done that? Okay. So, in the same sense, like, when the church says, you probably shouldn't do this, how dare you control me? Like, do we not see a correlation here? Like, what's the dentist want to do? Make sure you have teeth for as long as you live like they care about your gums they care about your health what's the what's the doctor trying to say like I love you and I I want you to be around for a while and so these are like temporary things though right because we're all gonna die and our gums are gonna decay and our bodies are gonna okay that's weird but anyway moving on (laughs) the soul the souls forever forever hey, maybe you should go to confession. How dare you tell me what to do? I just, I just want your soul to be good with God. It's all I want, right? It's all I care about. And so God, right, he's giving— I threw my papers away. Eat those. So it's the same idea, like, God's not trying to uh, push us down, right? He's trying to give us freedom. In the same sense the priest, the church, like when we speak from these places of authority and truth and law, it's to care for the soul. Because I love you. Like I authentically love you. And again, that one guy thought I was way too like inauthentic because of my joy. Like, no, I really love you. And like that that's weird, Father Jay. Like, no, like I do. So I'm gonna challenge us to to live that life. The big thing was like I recognized when I wanted to become Catholic that there were things I had to change in my life. Again, there's a lot that my parents taught me that was good. That that the church is enhanced. But there's also things I was like, I was doing that were not good for me. And I had to say no to those things because they weren't leading me to joy and eternity. We have to do the same thing in our lives, we have to examine that. And so when we don't have clear definitions or we have arbitrary definitions, it's a struggle to know like what is true. When we place blame on others, when we take accountability away from ourselves. That's really tough, and so I hear this from time to time. You know, I'd go to Mass if your music was better. I'd go to church if you provided more things for the children. I would, I would come and sit and, and listen if your homilies were better and less, like, long and long-winded, and you were just a better human being. I'm like, wow, okay, calm down. <laughs> but, like, they're, they're throwing the blame on someone else instead of taking on that kind of It's like, Hey, you want the music to be better? Like, Do you sing? Yeah. Why don't you come canter? Oh, I, I want things for the children. Like, can you help me with that? Sure. Awesome. I don't know if you can ever fix the homilies, so good luck. You can tell me like I'm too long-winded, that's for sure. Like, follow that doesn't make any sense. Like, I'll always take criticism, positive or negative. So we can, we can have an accountability. We can have an ownership. That's, that's what's at the end of the day here. Like ownership of what we're doing. So the task at hand for this week, last week it was to examine whether or not we can accept authority, truth, and law. This week it's, it's more of an internal reception of what in what, what in what I heard today really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, you know, I really didn't like what he was talking about with all that sin stuff. I should probably examine that. You know, I, I really, I don't agree with the whole idea of moral relativism. I should probably examine that. It's the idea that we want to examine deeper questions. Like, I want to think further, like, why do I think what I think? And, and again, at the end of the day, like, I need help. God, at the end of the day, just wants to help us. He wants us to be connected to him. He wants us to be united with him. He wants us to be in re- relation with him. And so that means I have to go to confession because I've missed Mass or I've, I've done these other things. Like Whatever it is, like, I need to go. It's not to be judged, it's not to be ashamed, it's not to be embarrassed, it's to be loved. If that means like I have to like start doing these things instead, like that's a good thing, it's good, but that's a self-examination. The Lord at the end like wants us to do what's right, and so that's why he gave us an authority and truth and law. Um, It's up to us to to say, yes Lord, I will follow that, and we see that specifically in the gospel today. That older son, he's so angry. Because there's this uh, perceived lack of justice. I was always with you. It's like you're what you were. You're always with me, and you could always ask. But your son, when he left, but he's back. Like how great is that? He's back. Like we should rejoice when people return to the church. So we don't want to develop like a cold spirit, but we want to develop like, a good self-examination of like, yep. I I do need to change some stuff, and that's okay because the Father wants to love me in that change because my soul is way more important than anything else that's that's in this temporary life.